All right. Good day, everyone. Good day. Happy Father's Day. All right. Be be sure to uh, call call your daddies if you if your fathers are still uh, with you here. Uh, just be sure to give them a call today. Honor them. Um, it is Father's Day, and I just feel like um, before I start my message, I just want to uh, kind of share with you something that I've been observing and discerning, uh, divine move that I feel like God is doing on the earth right now. And I think this would have been a lot harder to say maybe 50 years ago, uh, but I think it's a little bit more in hindsight right now uh, because God's already been doing it, and statistically you'll be able to figure out that God's already been doing this. Um, but, you know... Um, I believe that local churches are coming out of a season where people used to gather around doctrinal agreements and they formed groups called denominations. And uh, the Holy Spirit, you see, at a time where there's a restoration of truth, which is what the Reformation was. It wasn't a restoration of power because you don't really see that many signs and wonders being done through Calvin and and Zwingli and all these awesome men of God, right? Uh, but there was a restoration of truth at that hour. And so at that hour, because truth was being restored, it was natural for people to gather around doctrinal statements, which they found to be true. And so we had denominations. But uh, I feel like the Holy Spirit is uh, bringing a shift, and people are now changing their priorities by gathering not around doctrines, but they're gathering around fathers, and I, I kind of explain what, what that means. Uh, in the past, church has often sought for safety in doctrine at the expense of the incredible safety and covering found only in godly relationships. You know, sometimes you see people hopping from one denomination to another because they have a change of mind about certain doctrines. But more than a covering provided by a denomination, doctrine and denominations, what people really need is the covering of a father. And what's happening right now is that God is really bringing this shift in the hearts of people. And people are leaving a lot of denominational churches. That's just a general trend of churches, at least in America. People are leaving denominational churches like Methodist, Presbyterian, Baptist, you know, Lutheran, all these churches. And they're joining what's called non-denominational churches. A lot of them happen to be charismatic. But they're joining a lot of non-denomination churches. And at these non-denomination churches, they don't get so hung up on the whole statement of faith. They just make sure that all the, 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 all the majors are there. You know, that, that Jesus is the Son of God. The Bible is true. Uh, Holy Spirit, uh, God is uh, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, they just make sure the majors are there. And what's more important is being in covenant with spiritual fathers. And that's the shift. I don't know if you've been noticing that. If you look at the statistics of church growth right now in America, out of the top 100 lists, majority, I'd say 90% of that top 100 list of the fastest growing and the biggest churches in America, okay, they are all non-denominational churches. Okay? Now, is this to, to, to discredit and dismiss denominational heritage that we've received? No. Uh, we have to honor... The denominations, because I grew up in a denomination, Presbyterian denomination. I think everyone should honor the Presbyterian denomination, because if you really study the history, 
of the Reformation, all right, uh, what Calvin did through his, through his writings, uh, whether you're a Calvinist or not, I mean, really brought uh, the truths of the gospel, really brought systematic theology and the study of Scripture and the high view of Scripture, really brought it to the forefront. And, uh, and the Persevering Denomination was born out of the tradition of Calvin. Um, and the Persevering Denomination, such a rich history in America of missions, such a rich history of, of just serving their communities. Uh, anyway, um, but we should honor all the denominations because, you know, uh, Baptists got their awesome uh, uh, heritage as well. But it's not to discredit or dismiss denominations, but it's to go beyond where the denominations were not able to get past. To stand on that which we received from denominations and to go even higher, to run even further than where they were able to go. And the key at this hour are fathers. Now, my question is, do you have a father? Do you have a spiritual father? Are there men and women of God that God has placed in your life and you have taken the humility and the submission to honor them as your spiritual father? Or have you always just been pushing people away when they get too close? Or when they say something you don't like, you just push them away and you just go to go somewhere where you can hear things that you like. And you're just constantly just hopping around churches, never being fathered by anyone. You know what's that? We know what that's called. It's called an orphan spirit. And I believe what God wants to do at this hour for many people that grew up, especially in denomination churches, who lack spiritual fathers, God wants to heal the orphan spirit. God wants to heal the orphan spirit. It's so key that you be healed and be loosed from that orphan spirit so that you can receive the blessings of a father, that you can look up to men and women of God, God places in your life, look up to them as your spiritual fathers, and then one day you rise up to be a spiritual father yourself. Amen? That's a good word, by the way. Through that and it's a bonus. It's for free. Uh, my sermons also for free. Okay, look with me. Exodus chapter three. Exodus chapter three. God, what I just spoke just now, Lord, I come in agreement with your spirit. I come in agreement with every divine movement that you're bringing onto this earth and say, I say, yes, Lord, heal the orphan spirit off the churches, oh God, off of the hearts of your people, God. Teach us to be sons, submissive, servant hearted, in love with the father, honoring the father, honoring spiritual fathers, and then raise us up to be spiritual fathers ourselves, God, because this is what the church needs at this hour. To complete her mission. So God I decree that. And I declare it in even greater measure. Upon the church. In Jesus name. Amen. Right, let's look at Exodus chapter 3. You know sometimes when a revelation. Really hits you. And you feel confirmation in your spirit. It's a good thing. 
to declare it. And if you feel even greater authority rising up, it's a good thing to decree and declare it. The Bible says you will decree a thing and it shall be established. There is a life of, a power of life and death is in your tongue. And we underestimate the authority of our tongue. But you look at any child that has been verbally abused all their life, and you can see the damaging effects and the power of the tongue. Well, where the tongue can also be used for evil, can be used for a lot of healing and good. And when you see an agreement with what you feel like God is doing on the earth, it's a good idea just to decree it, if you have that kind of authority rising up, or just declare it. And just say, this is what God's doing, and I like it, and I come in agreement with it. Okay? Hallelujah. I'm teaching you a little bit about prayer. All right. Praise the Lord. All right. Let's look at Exodus, Exodus chapter 3. I got a good message for you today. Look at verse 16 to 17. You'll read from the middle of verse 16. I have observed, I have observed you and, and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. A land flowing with milk and honey. Amen. When God delivered the Israelites out of their affliction in Egypt, His purpose was not just to get the Israelites out of slavery. His purpose was to get them out of Egypt and into the promised land. Amen? Amen. If you are just thinking freedom from slavery, you're missing the whole point. The promise was not to just get them out of Egypt. It was to take them into the promised land. Now, this promise that God records here, it was made hundreds of years before the people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt. God made this promise to give the land of the Canaanites. God made this promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob by saying, I will give this land to your offspring. And God made a promise, and he intended to keep it. And so when God sent Moses to deliver the people out of slavery, God wasn't just sending Moses on a mission to get Israel free. God sent Moses to get them free and lead them into the promised land. Look at the passage again. Exodus 3, verse 16 and 17. I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt. And to the land of the Canaanites. The promise is to get them out and get them in. The promised land. Brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, I'm here to say to you today. That God wants you to be free. Amen? And God wants you to be free. And uh, a lot of... Christianity focuses on that war between our will and our struggle against the flesh and sin. And whenever we find victory in that area, we rejoice and we make it like the main event. Because it it is a struggle, right? Struggle against the flesh. And God wants you to be free, by the way. He doesn't want you to be half free, 70% free. He wants you fully free, amen? Amen. When he aims for freedom, he aims for full freedom. 
I don't know if you noticed. A lot of Christians will settle for good enough. They will settle for, well, this is uh, pretty good compared to where I used to be. Okay. Don't ever compromise. Don't ever do that to yourself. All right. When you aim for freedom, you aim for full freedom. Now, God wants you to be free, but he doesn't stop there. God wants you to be free from slavery, and he wants you to go and enter and take possession of the promised land. Just like the Israelites, we were in slavery to sin and death, and we were oppressed by a ruthless slave driver. But God sent a deliverer. His son Jesus. On a mission. To get his people free so we can worship him. But Jesus did not send his son into the world. Only so that you can be free. And forgiven and go to heaven. Because that's where a lot of our gospel message stops. Get free, get forgiven, get free, go to heaven. Oh, by the way, live a pretty decent life on earth. Pretty, be nice, do some missions, serve people, discipleship. Try to fulfill the Great Commission. But by the way, yeah, it's just about getting forgiven, free, and going to heaven. That's where, that's where a lot of our gospel focuses on. And, and that's the gospel of salvation, but that's not the gospel of the kingdom. So the good news of the kingdom does not just say... Get forgiven, get free, and go to heaven. The gospel of the kingdom says, get free, get forgiven. Now you're ready for your destiny and purpose while you're here on this earth. And your destiny is to enter and possess the promised land. God sent his son as a deliverer to bring you and lead you into the promised land. Now, the Exodus account, it gives us a very sobering picture. The Israelites demonstrate that it is possible for people to come out of slavery and still fail to enter the promised land. Somebody say, "Mm mm-hmm. You know, it's very sad, but the Bible tells us that the entire generation that came out of Egypt, they failed to fulfill their destiny to enter the promised land. It wasn't like God had planned them on dying in the desert. God wanted to take them in. And they were on the short track in. But then man, God saw their hearts. And he took them on the long route. And actually, it wasn't even a long route. He he was waiting for them to die. 40 years of wandering in the desert. And this whole generation, they failed to enter the promised land. But check out this generation. You see how ludicrous this is? This generation, they saw 10 amazing, miraculous signs in Egypt. They saw Moses turn the, the river, the Nile River into blood. All stinky. Then he, then he had frogs jump up onto the land. And then Moses prayed and then the frogs died and then it stunk again. And then there was, the dust became like flies and gnats. And then there was... Hail and, you know, and, and locusts, man, when the locusts came, they ate everything that was left. They saw 10 miraculous signs. 
clearly they saw the power of God. They saw the Red Sea get parted. How many of you guys know somebody that ever saw, saw an ocean get parted? I would imagine, what? You saw the ocean get parted by God? Wow, your faith must be strong. Wouldn't you just know, logically conclude that? But these are these people, they saw that. They saw a cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. They ate manna in the desert provided by God from heaven itself. And after seeing all these incredible moves of God, they ended up grumbling, resorting toward idolatry, accusing God of premeditated murder. And they just tested God over and over and over again. Whenever things got hard, they tested God. They grumbled. And this is what God said in Numbers chapter 14 toward that generation. He said, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice, none of them shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. None of those who despise me shall see it. Wow. After seeing, you know, and you got to understand, like, they did see all these amazing things. So, you know, God's not just reacting like, you know, he's like real sensitive and he's just reacting. And God sees everything and he's like, what? What? I see, are you seeing all these things, amazing things? How can these people still doubt? How can they still not trust? And God made that decree out of a righteous anger. And after seeing God's glory and the incredible signs, you'd think these Israelites would learn to trust God, but they didn't. They kept putting God to the test. They despised his word. They didn't listen to his voice. And so God caused them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until they just died off. Why did they fail to possess the promised land? Why did the Israelites fail to possess the promised land? Was it because they just made one mistake along the way? You know, it wasn't that, that they just made one mistake and God disqualified them from possessing the promised land. Although that is what kind of happened with Moses, but that's another story. When you're in that type of leadership, you've got to be careful. All right. When you handle that type of anointing. Okay, that's another story. That's another message. I mean, I've got to get into that. But for the rest of the people, it wasn't just like one little mistake and God says, Aha, you made a mistake. You ain't going in. Okay, God's not looking for to give out strikes and then three strikes, you're out. Although he was counting. <laughs> that wasn't what God was doing. He's, he wants these people to go in. But they failed to enter the promised land simply because of one reason. They lacked repentance. And today, brothers and sisters, if you want the meat, let me hear you say, yeah. yeah. Say, I want the meat. Because what I'm teaching you about repentance right now is not milky, it's going to be meaty. And for those who can't handle it, you're going to choke on it, you're going to, you're going to get indigestion today. It's alright. Just let it come back up, chew it, and swallow it again. Alright. The word of God will be sweet as honey to your stomach. <laughs> A repentance. Now, what most of us, we think about um, repentance, we think of it as feeling sorry about our sin. And then confessing it and then turning away from it. Right? And this is true. 
It's a very clear, logical definition for repentance. But I'm here to tell you today that repentance is more than just feeling godly sorrow about immorality and then turning away. Repentance is a process of perceiving and coming into agreement with God on His perspective on things. Okay, let me, let me give that to you again. I'm going to throw it to you again. Repentance is not so much about confessing and turning away from immorality. Repentance is the process of perceiving, perceiving and coming into agreement with God through His perspectives. About the things, about His perspective on things. Okay, and so let me give you an example. Um, if God repeatedly speaks to you about leading worship, let's say you secretly play the guitar, but you never tell anybody. You're actually really good. But you plan to just use it to uh, romance your future wife, but you do not have any plans to play it in public because you're scared. Of, of, uh, you're shy. You're terrified at the thought of a public performance. And, but uh, God keeps, keeps saying, you know, calling you to lead worship. Now, a repentant heart would eventually come into agreement with God and say, if God has called me this way, I'm going to step out because I believe he has equipped me and his grace is available for me. That's a repentant heart. An unrepentant heart would shut their ear to God's voice and simply continue to say, I ain't never doing that. I'm sorry, but I ain't going on stage. I know I'm good, but ain't nobody else going to find out about that. I'm just too shy. All right. And look, check this out. There's nothing morally evil about refusing to lead worship. You will not find in the Ten Commandments, you shall not refuse to lead worship. There is no moral issue here. Okay. And so... The issue is not about moral evil. The issue is about refusing to come into agreement with God's voice about things. See, when God speaks, he's got a purpose. And that purpose is not just connected to you, it's connected to other people. And there's a timing also to these purposes. And it's important that when God speaks, that you obey. When God told Abraham to go, God, Abraham just went. But a lot of times when God says to us, go here. And then if you're not sure, he's, you ask God for confirmation, he confirms it. Go here. Do this. Start this. Start this company. Start this idea. Uh, step up and serve in this leadership role. Lead worship or something. You know, God's speaking to you again and again. And you know it's God. And you end up being like Jonah. And you say, you know what? God, I know you're calling me this way. But I'm headed that way. Okay? That's the unrepentant heart. I'll give you another example. In Numbers chapter 13. And by the way, this unrepentant heart, although you're not sleeping around, although you're not lying and cheating, it's a form of rebellion. Let's call it for what it is. And I'll, I'll show you in Numbers 13 what I really mean. It's just explicitly in the scriptures. Cause it rebellion. Numbers 13. The Israelites... They get close to the promised land. This is before they go in. This is when Moses is still alive. Moses sends out 12 spies to check out 
the promised land. Each from one, one from each tribe. The spies go and they come back and they spread a fear-filled report about the land and the people living in the land and saying, we are no match for the people that are living in that land. The land is real nice. Beautiful, yummy fruits and grapes. Look, we brought some back for you. Here, taste them. They're great. But we ain't going to get more of these grapes because we ain't going in. The people there, they're like giants. There's like these crazy people called the Anakites in there. I think these are the Anakites. These are giants. They seem like grasshoppers in their eyes. And they spread this bad report, fear-filled report. Now, there is nothing inherently evil about spreading a report about what you saw. But God saw it as rebellion. Why? Because the spies were spreading a report that was in direct contrast, direct opposition to God's perspective on the situation. God's perspective is, go check it out because this is what you're about to get. Go see how good it really is and come back and then celebrate my goodness. That's God's perspective on the situation. But as these guys spread this false report, it was a denial and despising of God's promise and of his voice. This was rebellion. And as a result of this a false report spreading, millions of Israelites, you got to remember there's like millions of them there. Either in the hundreds of thousands or millions. There's a lot of people. And they just start to get filled with anxiety and they start to panic and despair. And they start saying, all right, uh, choose a leader. Let's just go back to Egypt. I don't want to go in there and die. Did God bring us? This is what happened. God, you brought us out here to die. You want us to go in there and die? It's because we don't have enough graveyards in Egypt that you have to bring us out here and die. And they start accusing God of first degree murder. A premeditated murder. How dare you? How dare you? But that's what they were doing. They accused God. Now, there were only two that were in wholehearted agreement with God. What were their names? Joshua and Caleb. Now, Joshua and Caleb, they carried a true heart of repentance. Okay. They saw the same things. They saw the same giant warriors and people in four to five cities. They saw the same things. But they chose to go in agreement with what God was saying about the situation. They were in wholehearted agreement with God. They had the true heart of repentance. And so they actually confront the people. And they say, hey, hey, let me assure you, we can go in. We can do this. We can do this. Stop. Stop panicking. We can do it. We can go in and possess the land. And look, y'all have to repent because this is straight up rebellion. They called them to repentance. They were bold. They were in true whole. I mean, they didn't just say, oh, man, those guys don't agree with what we thought. They were like bold about it. They were like in such agreement the zeal of the Lord Almighty came. And they were calling the people to repent. Remember, these are two guys. There's millions of people. There are millions of people in panic. Two guys in boldness. And they're confronting the people and saying, stop this. Stop this madness. Stop crying. Repent. This is a rebellion. We gotta, we gotta go in. We can't come this far and just... And just not go all the way in. Alright. And uh, unfortunately the people responded by threatening to stone them. <laughs> now, the, uh, that's the devil by the way. I mean, that's, the people were filled by the, de- by the devil by the time. 
a murderous spirit coming on them. Anyway, uh, the Israelites, through all their wanderings in their desert, they never got it. They never, they lacked a true repentant heart. They might have turned away from all the incest, all the sexual morality, whatever things they picked up in Egypt. They might have turned away from those things morally, but their hearts were not in true repentance with God. And so they, ne- they never got it. And so that's why they failed. They knew God's promise was to enter the, uh, the promised land. They saw plenty of miracles and incredible signs. But at the smallest bump, the smallest inconvenience, the Israelites had a pattern of coming into agreement with the spirit of fear rather than the promise of God. Brothers and sisters, some of you have a big assignment from God because there's a big gift on your life. It's given you faith in great measure, given you talents in great measure, and to whom much is given, more will be required. And you have, these ama- you have this amazing call in your life. But you're wandering in the desert. And if you, if you don't go and press in with a true repentant heart before God and come into agreement with His promises, if you keep agreeing with the spirit of fear, you will forever be wandering in the desert. And you will die in the desert. And you will never fulfill your destiny. Please do me a favor. Don't do that. Don't do that. It's not very glorious to God. Now, this, this lack of repentance, if it's in your life, it can really block you from fulfilling your destiny and purpose. Um, you can walk in purity. You can be a loving person. You can... You know, no cheating, no lying, no theft. You go to church on time. You tie faithfully. I mean, you can, you can have all these things in your life. But yet, if you're not bringing your heart and mind into agreement with God on what he thinks about your situations, decisions, and relationships, you will still walk in rebellion. You'll just be a clean rebel. You'll be a neat and nice, goody-two-shoe Christian rebel. But you're still in rebellion before God. Brothers and sisters, it's not only important to obey the written word of God, which says do not lie, do not steal, do not murder. It's not only important to obey the written word of God, it's it's important to obey the voice of the Lord. Somebody say amen. Amen. King Saul found this out the hard way, didn't he? He didn't obey the voice of the Lord. And so the prophet Samuel said, why do you despise the word of the Lord? And Saul says, well, well, I'm still doing what he said. It's just kind of like on my own terms. But hey, it's still the bottom line is the bottom line, ain't it? All right. Saul lost his kingship. Because he failed to obey the voice of the Lord. You know, Deuteronomy 8.3 is a famous verse. Everyone knows it. Bible says he he humbled you. Causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you or your fathers had known. To teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now, when we quote this, we often quote it with reference in mind to what? To the Bible. And that's very good interpretation of that passage. But did you know when this command, this word was given, the Israelites didn't have a Bible. Well, then what was it referring to? How did they interpret it? I'll tell you how they interpret it. They interpreted it 
as obeying the voice of the Lord. Not living just on physical bread, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. When you see the image of mouth, you're thinking of an active, dynamic image of one of a mouth that's moving and speaking. Let's say man should, not, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that's written down. It's by every word that comes from the mouth of God. God's mouth still speaks to you today. If you want to possess the promised land, you've got to learn how to discern and then obey that voice. Now, Bill Johnson says, many Christians repent enough to get forgiven, but not enough to see the kingdom. Many Christians repent enough to get forgiven, but not enough to see the kingdom. You see, when Jesus began his ministry, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Brothers and sisters, if you want to see his kingdom come and you want to possess the promised land, you got to go deeper in your repentance before God. Stop just repenting of all the moral things. And go deeper and come into agreement with God, not just about more issues, but about what He is actively saying over your life, over your situations, over your relationships. And as the Word of God says, we must no longer conform ourselves to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our mind, by repenting and conforming our minds, not to the world, but to heaven and to his kingdom patterns. When we conform our minds to the kingdom patterns, that's when we are truly transformed. See, a lot of the things that we've learned, we got to unlearn. A lot of us, although we are free, we still carry a slave mentality. But you see, slaves cannot see the kingdom of God come. They will not manifest the kingdom. Only sons can. Brothers and sisters, you've got to set yourself free from slave mentality and start thinking like sons. Like those who are truly in covenant with God and ready to carry out His purposes. The Bible says those who are led by the Spirit of God will be called sons of God. So if you're not with the Holy Spirit, be sure to get with Him. If you want to be a son of God, you want to be called, you want to have a reputation as a son of God, as one that manifests the kingdom, you're going to need to be led by the Spirit of God. Now, um, when you have a slave mentality, whenever life gets bumpy, or whenever things feel like a wilderness, when things feel like a desert, the slave's first instinct is to go back to Egypt. Ain't it? Whenever a slave hits a bump in the road, it's to go back to Egypt. It's to go back to old sin patterns. Go back into the arms of an ex-boyfriend. Who was abusive, by the way. But you still go back. Why do you do that? Because you have a slave mindset. You're still thinking like a slave. And whenever you go back to sin patterns, whenever your Christian you know, walk gets bumpy and you go back to Egypt, and 
Whenever you go back to your sin patterns, you're coming into agreement with the devil. And you're giving him authority to oppress your life again. And let me tell you something right now. Because you are saved, the devil may not be able to take away your soul, but he sure can torture it. Brothers and sisters, we've got to perceive and come into agreement with God on who he says we are. And live from our identity as sons, not slaves. Amen? When things get bumpy for sons, they don't look back to Egypt. They get decisively, their eye gets more decisively focused on the promised land. They think, man, this is uncomfortable. But I just got to persevere. I've come this far. I will not go back. (laughs) I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. You know, a lot of Christians that experience victorious freedom from their slavery to sin, a lot of them think that they've arrived. Wow, I'm finally living a life of wholeness. I'm healed of all my trauma. I'm freed. I have accountability in my life. I'm living free from my old sin patterns. I have really arrived. And I just want to be like, you're still in the desert. (laughs) Brothers and sisters. It's much more glorious going into the promised land and possessing it than it is for you to do circles in the wilderness. (laughs) Come on. Some people do these circles in the wilderness and then they settle for religion, a religious form of Christianity without any power. And they just think this, it just doesn't get any better than this. And I love my brothers and sisters in the Reformed theology tradition, which of which I, I really proudly identify myself as a member of. But man, so many people in the Reformed tradition, they're just doing circles in the wilderness. And they just go, man, this is so good. This is so good. They think it's as good as it gets, and they're missing out on the promised land. And they think the promised land is heaven. And yeah, well, well yeah. Promised land, yeah, we could think of it that way too. Yeah, we'll get to heaven, that's our promised land. Yeah, sure. Well, look. You don't have to do anything to go to that promised land. It was a free ticket. Jesus purchased it for you. You just take it. You don't even do anything. You get to go. But this promised land we're talking about right now, oh, it's going to take some work. It's going to take some battles. It's going to take some boldness. It's going to take you confronting demonic powers in dark places to possess the gate of your enemies. This promised land is going to take a lot of prayer, a lot of warfare. The promised land for the believer, let me explain it this way. Is living life in the realm of the kingdom. 
the king's domain. The promised land for the believer. I should see people writing this down. Caleb, take notes. Okay, I should see people writing. Thank you, sir. I should see people writing this down. Okay. The promised land for the believer is living life in the realm of the kingdom. By the way, all those people that aren't taking notes right now, please do me a favor. All right. Don't hate on me when I'm not available to counsel everybody hours upon hours. Because I see you struggling with the same patterns. I'm trying to renew your thinking. And you ain't taking it in. I'll still love you later if you come to me. But I might not be always available. Don't hate on me. Don't blame me. You should blame yourself because you ain't taking it in today. I just spit the truth, man. I just keep it real. Accountability is on you, not on me. I'm doing my work to equip you to do the work of the ministry. And you're looking at me like, do all the work. You do all the ministry. All right? Look, I preached a couple weeks ago. Five full ministers are given not to do the work of the ministry, but it's to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Y'all are the saints. I am a minister, and I'm here. I will do ministry. Yes, I do it. But my full-time position and job description is not to do ministry. It's to equip you to do the ministry. Let's get back to it. Promised land for the believer is living life in the realm of the kingdom, of the king's domain. This is the purpose for which Christ saved each of us. So that we will live life in the realm of the kingdom. This means wherever we go, the king's domain goes. The king's dominion spreads. Whenever we speak, we speak to establish his rule and reign. We speak over injustice. We speak over human trafficking. We speak against North Korean oppression. Whenever we lay hands on the sick, it is to disallow the devil from afflicting our neighbor any longer. We bring the king's dominion into that person's body and we drive out all sickness and disease. No matter how many times it takes to pray. And whenever we pray, we pray to advance the king's domain. When you pray, Lord, your kingdom come, you're asking God to advance his kingdom on the earth. By the way, in heaven, there's full dominion. Not much to pray about in heaven for God's kingdom to spread. It's here on this earth where man gave up his dominion in the Garden of Eden and Jesus became a man to go and get it back and restored it to each of his people. And he, he gives us the keys of the kingdom of heaven and says, take dominion, spread my kingdom on this dark and fallen earth. We pray, we pray to advance this kingdom. We pray, we, we pray to annihilate witchcraft, occultic power from our malls, from our communities. We pray that the true gift of prophecy will manifest in our families and in our communities rather than the counterfeit gift of divination. And if you still can't get an idea of what the promised land looks like, just look at the public ministry of Jesus. You want to see the promised land? Look at the ministry of Jesus. Observe how Jesus spreads the king's domain, which is, by the way, his domain. 
Observe how he spreads his domain. What does he do? He goes into towns. But he not only preaches and teaches, he spends actually a majority of the time healing the sick, healing those oppressed by the devil, casting out demons. Am I reading the same gospel as you? Because that's what I read. That's how he spread the king's dominion. And the Bible says the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Well, I'm doing missions. I'm going out evangelizing. I'm going on my campus. I'm going to Kazakhstan. I'm doing, I'm trying to spread the king's dominion. Why is it all just talk, talk, talk? Apostle Paul said the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. You got to do talking too. Yes, talking is involved. But all you do is talk, 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 talk. And there's no power. People will not recognize that the kingdom of God has come upon them. Jesus said, when you see demons being cast out by the finger of God, that's when you will know that the kingdom of God has come upon you. Come on. We need God's power. To advance this kingdom, we got to have power. And we are called to live in the same kind of power. To manifest the power of the kingdom. Because God is a God of power. And he causes people to demonstrate that power. Bill Johnson said, Jesus did not die and go through all of his suffering just so that we can do church. Or even just to get us to heaven. Let's face it. He had more in mind than having us just meet once or twice a week and tithing. Look, if Jesus' idea of advancing the kingdom was just meeting once or twice a week and tithing, his three years of public ministry all right, would have been just in one or two places. They would have weekly worship meetings. People would gather and they would worship God and sing songs and pray and he would teach them how to pray and then they would have time of offering and then people would sit and the people would stand and that's what his ministry would look like. That's not what he did. Every time he, things in one town started to get hyped up, guess what? Bounced over to another town. And it went to another town. Why did he do this? He's advancing the kingdom. Why aren't we doing this? But things are about to change. Doing church is great, but it's not the promised land. I love all this. But if all this is all I get, I will be unsatisfied in my spirit. Because I know that this is great. This ain't the promised land. Jesus painted a picture of the promised land when he said, You will see greater things than these. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus also gave us another picture of the promised land. He said, you will do the same work that I've been doing and even greater works than these. I'm trying to paint the promised land for you right now. Okay? Um... I mean, Jesus is either lying or telling the truth. You're, you're do the same things I did and greater things. Or, or you're just, just kidding, psych. 
and the disciples forgot to put that in. How can you, how can you, you know, come on, I'm the son of God. How can you do the same things I did? Oh, you're so cute. I'm the son of God. Come on. Look, Jesus doesn't have insecurity issues. All right. If you can surpass him in the miraculous works that he did while he was on this earth. By the way, he was only here three years. Some of you will live on and have 30 years of ministry, 50 years of ministry. You have much more room. And by the way, there were only thousands of people on earth at that time. Now we have billions of people on the earth at this time. Whew. More room for the glory. More space for the glory of God. Let me paint you the promised land a little more. Acts 1 verse 4 to 5. While staying with them. Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. He said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The promised land of miracles is not for superstar evangelists. It is for all the saints. These are the signs that accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Brothers and sisters, this is a picture of the promised land that you are destined for. Question is, do you want to still do circles in the wilderness? Do you want to keep feeding On onions or whatever, whatever. manna. Yeah, manna actually, manna was good. Our manna was supposed to be good. But anyway, hallelujah. Anyway, bad analogy. Do you want to keep doing circles in the wilderness or do you want to enter the promised land? Do you want to not just enter, but do you want to possess the promised land? Yes. Turn to your neighbor, tell him that. You, are, you shall possess the promised land. In the words of Bill Johnson, Do whatever is necessary, pay any price, travel any distance to possess the promised land. Brothers and sisters, I assure you that the price you pay to possess the promised land will be embarrassingly small in comparison to the rich abundance that you will gain from possessing the realm of his kingdom. From carrying the realm of his kingdom. God told Joshua in chapter 23, the Lord your God himself will drive out, drive out your enemies. He will push them out before you and you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised you. When it actually came for in the natural for the Israelites to go in after the first generation died out, Joshua gave, was given the privilege to lead the next generation in. And as they went in, it wasn't like, hey, we're in now. This is the promised land. All right. Everyone. Hey, we're here. Hey. Okay. For them to enter and possess the promised land, they had to do warfare. They had to battle. There were costs, but they were gladly paid to obey the Lord 
and possess the promised land. You want to possess the promised land. It's not just about you just growing into it. You really want to possess the promised land? You really want to move and live life in the realm of the kingdom? Living life in the realm of the kingdom means you're going to be in opposition to another kingdom. And the kingdom of darkness will not wait for you to challenge him. He will come and oppose you the moment you are baptized with the spirit. The moment you start taking these principles to your heart. He will oppose you. He will tempt you. He will seduce you, whatever he can, to keep you from living life in the promised land, and in the realm of the kingdom. And just like it wasn't a walk in the park to possess the promised land for the Israelites, the enemy will not make it easy for us to possess the promised land. Since the promised land is a life of living realm, uh, living in the realm of the kingdom, Jesus said from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. And to advance the kingdom of heaven, you must confront an opposing kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. But God has given us the promise from ancient of days, from way back in history, he gave us a promise that still applies to us today. Genesis 22, verse 17. Awesome memory verse. God tells him, God tells Abraham, your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. This promise is for you, brothers and sisters. You need this promise for you to possess the promised land. Because not only will you be walking in the realm of miracles and power, supernatural power, but you need to battle. And you need a promise that assures you that when you step out in battle, you will win. If you will fight, you will win. David never lost a battle that he fought. This promise was truly fulfilled in his life. He never came back from a battle beat up. He never came back from a battle all defeated. He was victorious because he possessed the gate of his enemies. Praise the Lord. I want everyone to just close your eyes right now. I'm going to ask some of the uh, altar ministers to come up. Uh, don't, leave the lights on. Don't turn, don't turn off like that. Our altar ministers come up here. Uh, can you guys line up on this side, on, on my right side? All right. Hewan and Judy, come up too. All right. Um, brothers and sisters, each and every one of you, you know, 
the, the promised land for the, for the church, for the promised land for the body of Christ is to really live in the realm of the kingdom, which is to live in that realm of a supernatural power, miracles, ministry that Jesus carried and confronting the, the powers of darkness and just winning and just possessing the gate of our enemies. That's the promised land for all the believers. But, you know, God has a promised land for this church. And I believe the promised land for this church involves planting churches in Jeju, in Busan, in Pyongyang, wherever the Lord calls us to. And although we hear bad reports about North Korea, and people say you can never go into North Korea. There's just too many, there's too many giants there. There's too much power, oppression. The people are such so messed up and brainwashed. You hear all these bad reports. We refuse to believe those bad reports. We, we choose rather to come into agreement with what God says about North Korea. That God will give us. Ask of me. And I will give you the nations as your inheritance. Nothing is too hard for our God. God doesn't want us just to pray and ask for the neighborhood. God wants us to ask for cities and nations. And where, where, where the church has been apathetic to the situation in North Korea. There are churches that God is raising up right now that are crying out day and night for North Korea to be free. For us to possess North Korea as our promised land. So those are a few examples of the promised land that we as a church and I as your Joshua, that it is my passion to lead the people of God in there. But you know, God has a promised land for each of you as well. He has big dreams. Everyone close your eyes. Everyone close your eyes. He has big dreams for each and every one of you. Purposes, plans that will blow your mind. And you've been attacked. And you've been cut down. And you've been abused. But God says, my promise hasn't failed yet. You might give up. On my promises, but I will be faithful to my promises. But I want you to rise up. I need you to rise up and believe my word. Come in agreement with what I'm saying about your life. You are a mighty warrior. You will possess the gate of your enemies. Nothing will be impossible for you. You will appear before kings, politicians, presidents. And you will honor me in their presence. There's promised lands that as individuals that God has for you. But too many of us, we so easily give it up. We so easily trade it in for circles in the wilderness. And I'm here today to awaken your passion. For your personal promised land. Right now, there are things that have come into your mind. And you have these dreams. And you've been nurturing them in prayer. If you don't know what they are, then you need to start asking God. But search real deep in your soul. And there will be clues about what, what God's promised land is for you. And you know, as we go throughout the years, some of those details may change and adapt. But the size of the promised land 
Oh, it's, it's not going to get smaller. It's only going to get bigger. The word of God says, No eye has seen, no ear heard, what God has prepared for those who love him. I want to awaken your passion today for the promised land. I want you to possess your promised land. It doesn't matter if you don't know all the details of it right now. Just go in the direction that his voice is telling you to go. That's all you need to do for now. Yeah. Close your eyes. Everyone, close your eyes. Lord, I speak to the hearts of your people right now, God. And I affect and enforce the plans and purposes of God over and against the plans and purposes of Satan in Jesus' name. And where Satan has set up blocks, doubts, distractions, abuse to try to keep your people from entering the promised land. Right now, I decree and declare that no and void, no weapon formed against God's people shall prosper. May a resolve and a passion be fired up in the heart, mind, and will of your people today. A resolve to enter the promised land. To fulfill their destiny. God, I disallow any destiny from remaining unfulfilled. I disallow all of God's potential that has been planted in these people's hearts in seed form. I disallow it to remain in seed form. I command those seeds to come into full fruition in Jesus' mighty name. Just receive it. I told you there's power in the tongue for life and death. Right now, I am declaring the blessings and the promises of God over you. And these words that I speak, they're not just words that are forgotten and go into thin air. These words are words that have spirit and life in them. Because these are the words that God breathes upon by His Spirit. And He makes sure that they are fulfilled. So just receive that. Just receive that.